that song. You guys are all, it's been pretty fun. I mean, everybody watches these things and just have a smile on their face. That just brings it. So one final hello, neighbors. We are wrapping up what I think has been a really good series called Won't You Be My Neighbor? We are so glad that you chose to spend a little bit of time with us this morning. If this is your first time in the series, let me get you caught up to speed a little bit. Uh, Jesus sums up all of life in one commandment. He says that we are to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And out of that love for God, we are to love our neighbors as ourselves. And he says that if we will align our life with that commandment, that our lives will be changed, but it will also change the lives of the people that we come into contact with. So we've been focusing our attention on the second half of that commandment. And what does it mean for us to love our neighbor? And we've been wrestling with the idea of what if we were to apply this seriously into our lives and literally, that we love our physical neighbors. And trying to answer this question, what does it mean for us to be a good neighbor? Uh, the first week we looked and said that neighboring begins with first looking in the mirror, taking a hard look at ourselves and saying, do I have a passion for the people around me? Do I have a heart that breaks for the people around me? And recognizing that, that God has planted people in our lives, our, our neighbors are in our lives for a very particular reason, that we are to live out Christ in front of them. Being a good neighbor is first and foremost this posture of the heart that says, I'm going to do whatever I can. I'm going to love them in such a way that they will know that I am for them, that the posture of my life and my heart is for them so that they will come to know that Jesus is for them too. And then last week we tackled the biggest obstacle to neighboring, which is our time. We live these crazy, packed lives, and it's easy for us to convince ourselves and to justify to ourselves that I, I just don't have time for more relationships. I don't have time to neighbor well. But if Jesus says that this is the most important thing that we can do with our lives, then in some way we have to find a pace of life, a, a way for us to create some margin, to create some unused space on our calendar so that we can invest in the lives of our neighbors. And if we'll embrace this life of intentionality and, and availability, that God can use that to shape someone's eternity. And here's something that will happen. As we begin to walk towards loving our neighbors, as we begin to build these friendships, eventually we're going to run into this tension in our lives. On the one hand, we are called to love our neighbors, period. No strings attached. But the, we're not supposed to go into it with these mixed motives of uh, thinking that, that we only love them if they place their faith in Christ. I, our love for them is not dependent on them saying yes to Jesus. So we don't go into it treating them like a spiritual project at all. But on the other hand, because we love them, our ultimate hope for their life is that they would come to know and follow Jesus. We want them to experience what we have experienced in Christ. And I think that is where the wisdom and the strategy of living out this great commandment makes so much sense because when we love our neighbors, when we love them well, we build this bridge from our lives to theirs over which the truth of the gospel can enter into their lives. This morning we're going to take a look at a story found in Mark chapter 2 that, that illustrates the power of friendship and, and the power of loving our neighbors toward Jesus. 
Mark chapter 2 kicks off this way. It says, when Jesus returned to Capernaum several days later, the news spread quickly that he was back home. Soon the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors that there was no more room even outside the door. Jesus, for the first 30 years of his life, lived the life of a carpenter. And at age 30, he began this teaching ministry that began to attract these huge crowds. He taught like no one else. Um, he began to share about who God was in a way that was really resonating with people, but it was causing them to ask all these questions. And occasionally, he would perform these miracles to drive home the source or the, the point that he had the authority to teach this way. So at this point in his ministry, there was this buzz around him. Rumors were flying around that the leper was being healed, that the blind were seeing that the people were being healed. And so when he, he heads back down to this village in Capernaum, news quickly spread through the town, and the house that he was staying at was packed. And, and the people were gathering outside, maybe eight, ten deep, trying to crane their necks to hear some of this teaching and to see what Jesus would do. And it says, next verse, while he was preaching God's word to them, four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. They couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, so they dug a hole through the roof above his head, and then they lowered the man on his mat right down in front of Jesus. I know that the Bible is really thick, but there are some passages of Scripture that I want some more information. Mark just gets straight to the point and acts like this is just an everyday thing. Four guys show up with a paralyzed man, they lower him down the roof. What else do you want to know? I mean, for me, I'm just asking all these kinds of questions. First of all, I think we have to realize that the life of someone is paralyzed. I mean, it was almost an impossible life to live, almost a death sentence. He, he couldn't walk, which means he couldn't work. He couldn't provide for himself. He, he lived his whole life depending on the charity of others. This guy didn't have much going for him, but, but he had four amazing friends that loved him and cared for him, and they were desperate to get their friend to Jesus hoping for this miracle that they had been wanting their entire life. But when they get to this house where Jesus is, they're too late. It's packed. They, they can't get to Jesus, but they were undeterred. They refused to accept that. And so for me, I imagine that these four friends huddled up around this guy. And, and you know, in, in a group like that, there, there will be the one guy who's, who's cautious, who's, who's logical, who's rational. And I think this guy starts the conversation and says, tell you what he, he has to finish preaching sometime let's just hang out back and when he's done we'll make sure that, that we get our friend to see Jesus and I think while he's laying out his plan crazy Carl and the, the 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 impulsive friend that always has that wild look in his eyes he's already made his way up on top of the roof and he says hey guys stop the yammering get up here I, I watched this YouTube video about how to put in a skylight I think we can totally do this grab a corner and get him up here now, in those days, the, the roofs were flat, and there would be a set of stairs that would be on the outside of the house, and they, the, the roof kind of doubled up as a patio in the evenings. And the roofs in those days were, were made just of, of mud and thatch and, and tree limbs. So these guys get up there, and they just start digging their way through this. And they're not just making a small hole that would be, would be annoying during a, a, a rainstorm. This is a hole big enough to lower a fully grown man down through it. And then place yourself down below. As they were working their way through this, the, the dust and the debris would just be raining down on everybody at first. At first it may be a little bit, but then they, they may see the, the end of a shovel make their way in. And the next thing you know, you have 
these hands that are digging in, just ripping as much as they can, trying to create this hole. And the next thing you know, there is a, a face peering down. And he says, part the ways, we're lowering our friend down. I don't care how good of a preacher you are, at that point, the sermon is over. There is no recovering from that one. And I think there are all kinds of ways to, to describe this scene. Crazy, courageous, bold, expensive. Because you know the homeowners down there looking up at those guys saying, somebody's paying for this hole. But these guys, they were so desperate to get their friend to Jesus that they were, they were willing to do whatever it took. Verse 5, it says, seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, my child, your sins are forgiven. It says, seeing their faith. It was the faith of the four friends that Jesus saw and that Jesus reacted to. He, he looks up into the hole and he sees the faces of these four friends that were expecting a miracle. They, they believed with all that they had that they could just get their friend to Jesus, that he would be healed. So Jesus sees their faith and then he looks at the paralyzed man and he says, your, your sins are forgiven. And if, if you're the four guys up on the roof, I mean, I'm sure that there were just these looks of confusion on their face. His sins are forgiven. I think Crazy Carl probably took the scene again and said, Psst, Jesus, it's his legs. His legs don't work. That, that's why we brought him. Can you just fix the bigger problem? The friends brought him to Jesus because they thought they knew what he needed. The crowd thought they knew what he needed, that he needed to walk again. But Jesus looked at him and thought something completely different. He looked at him and he knew that his real need wasn't to be able to walk again. What he wanted the most was not what he needed the most. Jesus was saying, I, I understand your problems. I, I, I see the issue going on. I see the suffering in your life. And I will get to that, but you have to first realize that the main problem in a person's life is not their happiness, it's not their suffering, it's sin. It's your relationship with a holy God that is, should take first precedent. And by coming to me and only asking for me to heal something temporary, you're not going deep enough. There's a much deeper and much more important need that I came to meet in your life. I came to forgive your sins. I came to cancel the debt. I came to bridge that gap between your sin and God's holiness. So he looked at the man and said, know that your sins are forgiven. Now the attention switches over to the teachers of religious law. Says, but some of the teachers of religious law who were sitting there thought to themselves, what is he saying? This is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. Jesus knew immediately what they were thinking. And so he asked them, why do you question this in your hearts? So now we turn to the religious leaders of the day. And they, these guys had front row, VIP seats. They, they were, had reserve seating waiting for them. But they had no love for the paralyzed man who needed Jesus' touch. Their hearts had grown cold, indifferent to the needs of others. And instead of recognizing what was going on, they go on the, on the offensive and start condemning Jesus. And Jesus picks up immediately what they're thinking, maybe, maybe by facial expressions, and he asks them, what's wrong with you? How are you missing what's going on here? These religious leader, leaders stand as a warning 
to us of, of the danger of growing comfortable in our faith, of growing comfortable in our religion. It's possible to become desensitized to the needs of others. It's possible to get to a place in your faith journey where you begin to forget about your experience with God's grace and to lose your passion for people and, and to take this kind of passive approach through life, neglecting those that are far from God that, that need to be brought to Jesus. Well, Jesus approaches this dead on, head on with these religious leaders. So he asked them the question, is it easier to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven? Or stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. So he says, he just poses the question, which is easier for me to say that his sins are forgiven? Because that could just be words. Forgiving someone's sins is this invisible spiritual transaction. You won't really know whether or not that actually happens, but so you know that I have the authority to forgive sins, I'm going to give you physical proof of who I am. So he says, I will prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. And then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, Stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. And the man jumped up, grabbed his mat, and walked out through the stunned onlookers. And they were all amazed and praised God, exclaiming, We've never seen anything like this before. And Jesus says, Let, let me put an exclamation point on what I just said. So you know that I have the authority to forgive sins, that I really am the Son of God. Buddy, I want you to stand up and walk out the door. And for the first time, his ankles hold up underneath his weight. And he takes his first wobbly step, and he starts to gain his composure, and step by step, he makes his way out through the crowd. And the only sound that can be heard is the sound of his four buddies running down the stairs trying to get to him first. This is the story that, that illustrates the, the power of friendship and the power of faith to change somebody's life. This man walked out of that house with a new faith and a new life because of the faith of his friends, because of these tenacious friends who were willing to do whatever it took to get their friend to Jesus. That's what loving our neighbor looks like sometimes. And, and as a church, we, we want to be the kind of people that has that kind of heart for our friends, that we are willing to do whatever it takes to get them to Jesus, to remove whatever barriers might be in their way. So let me share real quickly three things that I think that we are called to do, that we see out of this story in order to love our friends towards Jesus. The first, if you're taking notes, is that we are to bear their burdens. The, these four friends carried this guy's mat, perhaps for years, until God finally opened up the door for the miracle and the healing that he needed. And to think about that from the man's perspective, I and mean, he was in this place of complete vulnerability, that the mat was the one thing that he wishes wasn't true about him. The mat was the one thing that made him look not normal. It was the thing that he was ashamed of, that he wished that he could hide. And from the friend's perspective, this mat represented everything that made it difficult to be his friend. It, everything took longer because of this mat. Everything was a little bit harder to trans, transport him from one place to the other. And besides all that, their reputations were at stake. 
In that day and age, a lot of people would, would assign a spiritual stigma, thinking that this man was paralyzed because of some sin in his life. So their reputations were on the line saying, what are you doing hanging out with this kind of guy? And this mat that should have created this gulf between them instead created this opportunity for servanthood and for acceptance. And their dependable faithfulness day after day changed all their lives. Because of their faithfulness, they were in a position when that man needed his healing. And when God opened the door, they were perfectly situated to be able to get their friend to Jesus. Everybody has a mat. We all have a mat. It's that, it's that burden. It's that trial. It's the hurt. It's the sadness. It's the shame that we wish no one had. We all have a mat. And we all have times in our lives where we need friends to come and pick up a corner and carry some of that burden for us. So whose mat are you carrying these days? Part of what it means to be a good neighbor is that we continue to show up and we get involved in the messy parts of lives, that, that we are available when our friends, when our neighbors go through some really hard times, that when their teenager goes off the rail and they need somebody to talk to and you show up in the middle of the night and you have a cup of coffee with them, when, when the diagnosis comes back and it's not good news, when they make their way back after dropping off their kid at college and they come home to an empty nest and they're trying to work through that transition it's during those times that, that we check in often we lift the burdens when we can we show up and we prove that we are available to, to pick up a corner to carry some of life's burdens for a season and God uses that kind of faithfulness to bring healing to lives so who, whose mat are you carrying the second thing that we need to do is, is to live out our faith these friends serve as a reminder that our faith can in fact influence other people's faith that this man's life was changed because of their faith because they believed that jesus could do something for him and they acted on it a lot of times when we think about the word faith we kind of leave it as this mental exercise just things that we think or things that we say I find it interesting that, that there's no record of these guys ever saying even a word. It says that Jesus saw their faith. What was the evidence of the faith that Jesus saw in their lives? Well, one, there was this big hole that was sitting up in the roof. But when he looked up and he saw four faces peering down at him, four faces that were caked in sweat and dust, that were anxious, that, that were hopeful, that we're thinking that if we can just get our friend to Jesus, he will take care of the rest. He sees their very act of faith, and this man's life was changed as a result of it. Faith isn't meant to stay in the recesses of our minds. It's meant to be lived out, to be seen, to be felt, to have an impact on the people around us. Jesus said it this way one time in Matthew chapter 5. He says, Let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your Father in heaven. Jesus is, is declaring to us that, that when we live out our faith but by neighboring well, by loving our neighbors, that what they will really be seeing is God at work in us and that it will cause them 
to be curious. If, if, even if they don't really know who God is, that they'll be curious and begin to praise the God that is working in our lives. These friends were willing to live out their faith for another, to believe that God would move in his life, and then they acted on it. And when they did, it changed his story. So whose story, whose life is being transformed because of your faith? And then the last thing that we see is we need to take some risks. These guys were willing to do whatever it took. There was no obstacle that they weren't willing to tear through. When someone is your friend, your greatest desire for them, uh, more than, than physical healing, more than happiness, your greatest desire for them is to know that they are right with God. That, that at some point, the love that we have for them will compel us to say, we got, I, I have to, I have to get you to Jesus. And that will mean at some point that we will have to take a risk to tell them about Jesus. But here's the thing, when we are neighboring well, when we are investing in those relationships, when they know that we're there carrying their burdens, these conversations about Jesus will happen in a natural way. You won't have to force the issue. You won't have to press the issue at all. It just means that, that we wait for God to open the door, and when he does, that, that we're unafraid, that we boldly, courageously take that risk and let that conversation go in that direction. It was the faith and the risk of these friends that led to this man's physical and spiritual healing. And for the rest of his life, if someone were to ask him about his life story, he would say, let, let me tell you about my life. And there's no way that I can be where I am now without these four guys. And he would share this story for the rest of his life. I think we all have a list of names as well. We've all, at some point in our lives, been that paralytic man. We've all had friends along our spiritual journey who carried our mat, who lived out a faith in front of us that caused us to be curious and ask questions, and they were willing to take the risk. They were willing to step into that and tell us about this Jesus. Names of people that when we tell our faith story, that when we talk about where we are now in our faith, that there are certain names that will always come up, that we will always mention. Friends, small group leaders, teachers, coaches, your parents, the, the, the praying grandmother. For me, I, I cannot tell my faith story without mentioning Gene and George and Dave and Matt. They were instrumental. These were the guys that showed up in my life at just the right time. They carried my mat, and they took me to Jesus. I think we all have a list of friends that were instrumental in our coming to faith and in our faith growing as a result. And here's the question that I want us to wrestle with. Whose list will your name come up on? Who are the people that are currently in your life that won't be able to tell their story of faith without mentioning your name. For, for us as a church, this isn't just another series that we mention and then move on to the next thing. I, I honestly believe, we honestly believe that this is something that, that we have to get better at. This idea of loving our neighbor, of being for our neighbor, 
it unlocks our ability to accomplish God's vision for us as a church. Our heart and our vision is to be used by God to reach our valley in the state with the good news of Jesus. We created this piece to try to remind us of this vision that God has for us. It captures this idea that we want to be used by God to, to create this movement of, of believers who can actually reach our state with the good news. It not only accomplishes declaring what that vision is, but it also tells us how we do it. This is a, a string art piece. So it was created by stringing one connection at a time. That's the same way that we will accomplish that vision. That the way that we reach our communities, our valley, our state is one connection at a time. One relationship at a time. One conversation at a time. That, that, that we build these connections with our lives to those that are living far from God. We build these friendships so that the truth of the gospel can eventually travel over that. See, the fact is that we all know people that live their lives far from God, but, but they live in close proximity to us. We, we all have people in our lives who are disconnected from God, but they're connected to our lives. And what God is saying is, I have placed them in your life for a reason. I want you to use that connection. I want you to use that friendship to love them in my direction to build those connections over which the gospel can wreck their lives, can invade their lives. So here's the challenge that I want to put in front of us for the next season, whatever that season might, however long that might be. When you came in this morning, uh, there was a little bookmark in, your, uh, in the service guide this morning. And here's what I want us to do. I, I want you, I think there are 10, 10 lines on here. It represents... The, the people that are currently in your life, that, that you are physically connected to in some way, that you want their lives to be changed by Christ. And I want you to write, I want, I want us to write down the names of the people that we feel like God has placed in our lives and we want to see their lives changed by Christ. It, it may be a neighbor. It might be your spouse. It, it might be that coworker that, that you share the cubicle space with. It, it might be the, the guy or the gal who makes your coffee every morning but what I want us to do is to fill this out and then put it someplace where we can we can see it whether that's on the refrigerator you use it as a bookmark in your bible and then I want us to commit to praying for them regularly that, that we are praying for them and praying for God to open up some opportunities for us to be able to, to speak into their lives and again not to turn them into some kind of spiritual project no, we're just saying, God, who have you placed in my life that you want me to be Jesus to? And then commit to finding ways to intentionally connect your lives to theirs. You, you learn their name. You, you learn something more about their story. You, you serve them in some way. You invite them over to your house for dinner. You, you make them a meal. You engage in some kind of meaningful, meaningful spiritual conversation with them. Every time you make a move in their direction, every time you move the relationship a little bit closer to God, you're opening up another opportunity for God's love to invade in their life based on that connection. And you are living out the great commandment. And you are a part of fulfilling 
the vision, the mission that God has for us and for your lives. This piece isn't quite finished. And we all have a role to play in finishing it. So every time that you invest in a relationship, every time you take that step to connect your life to theirs, we, we want you to capture that. This will be out in the lobby beginning next week. We want you to capture that connection point by pulling a string from one connection to another, symbolizing the fact that, you know, I, I've made this friendship matter. I've taken this friendship to another level so that God's truth can invade their life on his timing. And we want to hear about that. Uh, we want to celebrate that as a church. We, we have a, a new or a page on our website, riverridge.org slash string story. We want to capture some of these string stories where you are connecting your life to theirs so we can celebrate that as a church and see what God will do. I, I think the crazy thing is, I think this is actually possible. I, I think it's possible for us to reach our communities, to change them one connection at a time, one, one friendship at a time. I dream about the day when we are so good at this neighboring that there, and there are so many lives that are being changed as a result of us just loving people towards Jesus, of trying to remove as many obstacles as we, as we can between their lives and them meeting Jesus, that lives are being changed so much that we can't keep up with it. This idea of the great commandment is so simple, to, to love our neighbors, and yet it is so powerful the potential of lives to be changed as a result of us believers just engaging and believing in the great commandment can change our communities. Let's devote our lives to what Jesus says matters the most. Loving people in his direction so that their lives can be changed like ours. Let me pray for us. Father, it's, it's amazing, it's humbling that you have invited us to be a part of your mission to forgive others. That you invite us to be a part of, to be a part of that simply by loving our neighbors well, by, by investing them, by caring for them, by lifting some of the burden that this life can bring having a listening ear both to them and also to you and as you open up doors of opportunities we can point them in your direction God help us to, to see that help that to get from our head down to our heart for us to wake up with that kind of passion that kind of posture towards our neighbors towards the people that you have placed in our lives God help us to see them the way that you do and then give us the courage, give us the boldness to take some risks, to share with them the good news of you. God, thank you for the grace that invaded our lives. Remind us of that afresh and remind us of how our lives were changed by the people that you put in our lives however many years ago. God, give us clarity of steps and clarity of actions. Give us some names of people that we can pray for and invest in so that you can change their life. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, thanks for coming out, everybody. We'll see you back here next week. We're kicking off a brand new series next week called The Elephant in the Room. You won't want to miss it. We'll see you then.
my God.